women are underdiagnosed because ADHD manifests itself differently in women than in men. Um, young boys are the ones that tend to be hyperactive. And then for a lot of young girls, it's just that they can't focus. And so since they're not outwardly acting out and just silently struggling, you know, parents and teachers don't see that. And so they don't think that it's a problem. Welcome back to I'm the Villain. Today we are we're we're kind of continuing our mental health series. Um, we're going to be talking about ADHD today with Chriselle, who's another podcaster friend. We just we have been recruiting so many podcaster uh, guests on our show. Um, but before we get into it, why don't you just um, give the audience a quick bio, whatever you think they should know about you? Yeah. Hi, everybody. I'm Chriselle, and I am a storyteller, entrepreneur, content creator, all of the above, podcaster based in Las Vegas, but I am originally from Long Beach, California, and I run the podcast and social impact business called Empowered in Color, which our slogan is to help people of color thrive in both business and in life. So. That is what we do, and that's a little bit about me. So, when did you uh, when did you get your ADHD diagnosis? Yeah, I got diagnosed last summer in July, and funny enough, because of my ADHD, one of the things it kind of contributes to like procrastination. I know like most people procrastinate, but like with ADHD people, it's that plus like a bunch of other things too. But in true ADHD fashion. I got diagnosed last July because last July, my husband and I moved from California to, to Nevada, and I knew that I was going to be kicked off my mom's health insurance. So I said, oh my gosh, I need to go make an appointment and like get diagnosed by someone officially so I can like get what I like, get the help that I need before I leave the state. Because there's no, my mom's health insurance is not available in Nevada. So I needed to like get it done before I moved. So I got that done and it actually just kind of made me realize how much ADHD has affected my whole life without me even realizing it when I had to kind of reflect back. So that was an interesting experience because I'm a pretty self-aware person as it is. And I just when I didn't think I could learn more about myself, I did. Um, and I was also very lucky to have had a psychiatrist who validated my experiences because I know a lot of people who get diagnosed as adults, uh, they'll get invalidated. They'll be told, no, you're just overthinking it. No, that's not real. Or maybe they'll say, oh, yeah, you have it, but I'm not going to give you medication. Um, so, Yeah. I was just very fortunate in my experience. Yeah. Wait, so when you say like um it, like it contributes to procrastination, is it the kind of procrastination where you're like like per, like oh, like overly perfectionist about like, you know, oh, like you know, it's just like so overwhelming to like start projects or something or is it more just like getting distracted or like what is the actual experience of it like? 
So it's a combination of a lot of those things. And what I used to tell people before I even realized that I had ADHD, I used to just say, oh, I'm an extreme extrovert, although there's a lot of introverts that have ADHD. But like I, I would tell people, oh, I'm an extreme extrovert. And I like to refer to myself as similar to Doug the dog from Up, um, where every time he sees a squirrel, he's like, squirrel. And like, he just gets so distracted so easily. And that is kind of how ADHD people are. And that is what um, fosters that procrastination is you get distracted. We get bored very easily. If if an ADHD person gets bored, they're pretty much mentally checked out. And it's really, really hard to get them to be interested in it again. Um, they were really bad at time management because we just think that we just over, no, we underestimate how much time we have to do anything, or we'll think that we'll get something done quicker, but we actually get really distracted on the way. Um, and we will start a lot of projects and again, we'll get bored of it. So we won't finish them. <laughs> or um, sometimes we'll just feel too overwhelmed to do anything and we'll just sit there and and just do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's just pretty much the way that I put it besides that Doug the dog reference is like our brains are running at like a million miles per hour all the time. So has that been um, like getting diagnosed? Has that been helpful to you? Do you feel like your life has changed significantly since you kind of got that diagnosis? I think it did. I think it validated a lot of things for me because you know, it was just not something I ever considered until a friend said to me, she has ADHD and was also diagnosed as an adult. And she said to me, you know, you and I function very similarly. You might have ADHD. You should, you know, consider getting that checked out. And I had never even considered it before um, because in 2019, I went through a bout of depression, was put on um, antidepressants. And even though like I, I actually was depressed, the thing with a lot of ADHD people too is that they will get misdiagnosed with depression first or they'll get misdiagnosed with like bipolar disorder or something and they'll be put on the wrong medication. Um, and for me in particular, as I got better, I still did not have that drive to do anything that I wanted to, if that makes sense. Like, um, for most of 2019, I didn't work on Empowered in Color. I didn't publish new podcast episodes. I published one in the new year and then like ghosted everybody for until like August of 2019 when I felt like I was better enough to be able to explain where I was at. And um, oh my gosh. And again, this is like the ADHD rant I like completely... <laughs> lost my train of thought. Um, but yeah, so I went through that and then, oh yeah, I was getting better. And then I, I still did not have that motivation to do anything, even though I was a lot happier. My mental health was a lot better. And I couldn't think of why I still was just doing nothing. I'm like, why am I so lazy? And that's when my friend who, she's also like an online business owner. And she said, go get checked out. And I said, okay. And I put it off for like, she told me this in like late 2019. I put it off for most of 2020 until 
um, last July, right before I was going to move and then got diagnosed. And like I said, as I was researching beforehand, it validated a lot of things for me because one thing that they say for people with ADHD is that it has, if you get diagnosed as an adult, it has to have manifested, like the symptoms has to have manifested in your life as a kid. Um, it's not something that like can get cured or like go away. You can just learn how to manage it better. And that's um, that's like the biggest requirement that like professionals say about it is that you need to have seen the symptoms pop up in your life in at least two scenarios in your life, which would be home and school um, when you were a kid. And so when I was reflecting on it, you know, I thought back to how I, you know, I'm Filipino. I come from an immigrant family and something that my family, my aunts and uncles used to call me as a kid. They used to say, oh, you're madaldal, which is in English. That means you're really talkative. You talk too much. It, so it's it's meant you're talkative in a bad way. <laughs> it's meant to be a bad thing. And I used to get told that all the time. And I was in the gifted and talented program in school. And funny enough, a lot of people who are in that program get diagnosed with ADHD and depression and stuff as adults. <laughs> um, so I was in that and I didn't fit that image of like a hyperactive boy jumping off of the walls. So, um, you know, me and, and other people that I know, like we didn't get diagnosed. Women of color are the least likely group of people to get diagnosed with ADHD. Um, and part of that is also the cultural aspect too, you know, like as a kid, I knew very from a young age that I wanted to go to therapy and my like, my mom would say, no, you don't talk about that to, pe to people. Like we don't tell people our business. You just stay quiet, blah, 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 blah. And so, yeah. So getting diagnosed really did change my life because it just made me realize that I'm not crazy. I'm not, not stupid, but like, I'm not lazy. I'm, it's really just how my brain is wired. It's wired differently than, than most people. It, you know, people with ADHD are considered neurodiverse or neurodivergent. And a lot of, um, ADHD is not on the autism spectrum, but a lot of the symptoms of ADHD are the same as, some of the symptoms for people with autism or some forms of it. So that is another thing too. So, yeah. So if they do catch it when you're a kid, can you quote unquote cure it? Um, if, if you get diagnosed as a kid, you really would just get help from a young age. So they would help you focus. They would, you know, you'd go through therapy or they'd give you medication from a really young age. Like anyone that I would have known that had ADHD at a young age, they were all boys. No, I didn't know any girls. And even in the last few months since I've been talking about having ADHD and my journey with it publicly, a few people that I know have gotten, di they've, they said, oh my gosh, I have a lot of the same experiences as you. I'm going to go get diagnosed. And they did get diagnosed and they got help. And now they are also in a better place too. So I don't know if you can cure it, but Reddit has been really helpful for me to, in this time. And from what I've seen on Reddit, people um, will either just become They'll be so good with their habits that they can get off of medication or 
they will just kind of keep using it to be able to do the, I don't want to say bare minimum, but like to keep functioning as a normal person in society through adulthood. Yeah. So sounds like you just like become more experienced with managing it the longer you've like known that you have had it and are able to like act. On yeah. It. Yeah. Basically it's so funny because it just explained a lot of my habits with how I'm the kind of person that like I have like right now I have two paper planners plus I have an online project management software. That's how I like manage all my tasks because I like need everything in different places. Like I need to see things visually in different ways. I've always said that like I, the desk where I work or my bedroom, like it needs to be aesthetically pleasing for me to be able to be productive in it. And like people just thought I was being shallow and I just thought I was too. But now I'm realizing it's like part of ADHD. Like you kind of, if you don't like some, if ADHD people don't like something, you're just not going to do it. And like you, cause you, you need to love what you're doing. You need to, you need to enjoy it. And so just like different things like that. And another thing too, is like how people with ADHD tend to interrupt people a lot. And I noticed even before I got ADHD, like, or before I got diagnosed that I did interrupt people a lot and I wouldn't know how to control it because I'm like, well, I, the reason why I do is because I usually wait because I'm really polite. And then my thought is no longer relevant because the conversation has shifted elsewhere, especially like in a group of people. So I do it. So I don't forget my thought or whatever. And I mean, we've been in a pandemic the entire time that I've known. So I haven't really been able to, I haven't really been in groups with anybody out besides my husband and my roommate. So I'm not really practicing that, but it's just something, things like that. I'm just a little bit more cognizant of it now so mm -hmm. that I'm not disruptive. <laughs> so we, um, we've talked to a few people that have like described their experiences with like getting prescriptions for some, you know, for whatever their sort of mental health diagnosis is. And we've also like been lucky enough to talk to people that actually like do the prescribing. We talked to a psychiatrist and that was really oh, dope. Wow. Um, and I feel like we've heard a lot of kind of like horror stories of people just having a really hard time trying to figure out what meds are right for them. I wonder, mm -hmm. Are there, and you know, I'm not sure how much you know about this, is are there like a ton of different ADHD meds that people can get prescribed or is there just like a couple of go-tos and like how was that experience for you? Yeah, there are a few different types of ADHD meds. I don't know all the names of them, but Adderall is the most well-known one. Um, Concerta is another one and there's like a few others. I think the difference in them is just how much of the hormones are in the meds. And some of them are stimulants like Adderall and some of them are not stimulants. And a lot of these are also used. Um, I think a lot, some of these are also used with like anti, like for people with depression too. But um, so for me, in terms of my medication experience, I was actually very, very lucky in that not only was I affirmed when I got diagnosed, um, I, you know, she happened to prescribe the exact medication that was right for me. And, and that's Adderall. I'm, that's what I'm on. And I know some people that doesn't work for them. It's too powerful for them or like 
it doesn't do enough. I don't know. But I was just really lucky. Um, another thing that I do want to note when I got diagnosed that is something that I try to be very intentional with is that I actually requested that my psychiatrist, and I do this with all my therapists too, is that I always request to have a person of color be my mental health provider because so much of my up, so much of my trauma and like upbringing, like being in a community of color, being a child of immigrants and stuff like that, like that directly affects my mental health so much. So because the very first time I went to therapy, I did have a white therapist and it was more just me venting rather than like actually getting any substantial help. And I also just don't want to be invalidated by someone who doesn't understand that this is the dynamic in these types of households. So my psychiatrist who diagnosed me and prescribed my medication is a woman of color. And so that was really helpful for me too. But anyway, onto the diagnosis and the medication. Yeah. So she just decided, she actually just decided, you know, we'll just prescribe you Adderall. We'll see how you go. We'll give you, you know, the 10 milligrams and you can kind of see from there. And it's been, it's been really good for me. It's helped me. Um, I've since upped my dosage a little bit by five milligrams. So it's, I take 15 milligram tabs now, but it's kind of hard. Like I, whenever I talk about my meds, I do talk about it openly, but I don't usually just say Adderall so straight out just because of the negative stigma with it. Like (laughs) I know that I've heard Trump use it in the past, um, as like a way to like demean Joe Biden. I don't even know if he actually uses it or not, but like saying, oh, he uses Adderall and like he's crazy or something like that. And like just further furthering that stereotype of people with mental illnesses or people who actually need those drugs as like these drug addicts. So sometimes when I take it, I'm like, am I a drug addict? What? <laughs> like, um, But like I actually... Well, does it make you feel like more in control of your situation or do you feel actually now that you've been diagnosed that it's like oh I'm just a victim of my brain chemistry like you know I can't necessarily control like my bit you know behavior in the ways that I wish I could you know I think that being diagnosed has helped me gain more control over the situation and my meds have too just because most of what they say with Pretty much what ADHD is, is an executive dysfunction disorder. People with ADHD don't produce enough dopamine. (laughs) Um, And we also are just unable to successfully execute our executive functions consistently. So, you know, self-regulating our memory. Oh yeah. People with ADHD have really bad short-term memory. Um, activation. So that's like being organized. A lot of ADHD, ADHD people are like really messy. Um, managing emotions. It's all about regulation and focus. So I feel like for me, getting diagnosed has helped me essentially regulate myself. Um, it's not that like I besides interrupting people, I didn't really do anything that was like super disruptive or super, I don't want to say detrimental, but like that interrupted my life significantly. 
beforehand because I, I'm not hyperactive. I'm just inattentive because there's also three different types of ADHD. And yeah, I feel like it's just helped me more. Um, I know my husband, he would prefer that I don't take medication, but like even that's another thing too, is just kind of normalizing talking about medication and the fact that like I can understand people's worries about it, but you know, if someone has a physical ailment, you would never tell them not to get the physical, you know, like use crutches if they can't walk or use any kind of aid, right? And like medication is pretty much that, but for your brain. And sometimes that is just something that we need. Like, and I don't have an addictive personality, so I don't find myself, I don't, I don't, envision myself ever getting like addicted to this or like ODing or anything. Like I even take breaks on the weekends. I don't take my meds on the weekend so that I can like give my brain a rest and also not have my body build up so much tolerance to it that I have to keep upping my dosage. Mm-hmm. So does your husband, is he like not into the idea just because of the sort of like stigma against people that take Adderall? Is that what it is? It's just the stigma against like mental health medications in general, like even or even with stuff like um, like if I get a headache, um, he would prefer that if I could not take the ibuprofen and he won't and he's the same way with himself, too. It's not like he's just doing this to me or anything. But um, or when I had depression in 2019 and I was put on antidepressants, he like he was like really uncomfortable with it. And so I kind of had to explain to him, we have no problem getting help for our physical body. But yet when it comes to our mental health, which is still part of our body, it's like, just because we can't see it, it's just not valid. And yeah, so it, it took a while to kind of work with him through that, but he's getting there. We're getting better. I wanted to circle back to one thing that you mentioned about like, you know, having to have a therapist who was or a you know psychiatrist who was a person of color. And I'm curious as to what do you feel like are the most salient like elements that like that person would need to share with you to sort of kind of get your experience or like, you know, understand the the things that have defined your experience as opposed to any other like white therapist yeah. or something, um, you know, um, I haven't like directly asked my I don't even know if you're allowed to do this but like I haven't directly asked any of my mental health providers about like their personal stories or anything like that but I've just I just feel like these people even if they don't know their like their their parents native tongue or maybe they've never even been to their parents home country or you know whatever the experience is they still live their lives as people of color. And parts of that are still going to, that's going to affect their life and, and how they view the world and even how they serve their patients. Is, is that what we're called? Patients that have similar backgrounds. So I haven't had any trouble with any of my mental health providers since I started specifically asking for people of color. But They've seen like all of them have seemed to understand exactly what I was talking about when we whenever I talk about like 
my trauma or like cultural values. Because a lot of my trauma does stem from like these cultural values that were like so ingrained in my mind. And it made me think that like, oh no, I can't cut off my toxic family because (laughs) cultural values. (laughs) Otherwise, I'm not a good Filipino if I like cut off my family and stuff like that. And, And that took a really long time for me to unlearn. So yeah, it's just something that I am always very much conscious of. And again, literally the source of all my trauma, for better or for worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, are you, do you try to find uh, like mental health professionals that are specifically like children of immigrants or Filipino? Or is that just like too, too narrow of a filter for it? That would be cool, but no, I don't. I just I just require that they're not white. <laughs> like that sounds so bad. But like it's I mean, it, I, I do the same true. thing by the way, so you don't have to feel bad. <laughs> well, I mean it's it's also kind of one of these like, you know, we know from a just it's one of I feel like there's this broader thing that we're starting to unpack of like so much of science is performed on the quote unquote like, you know, like on a very unrepresentative sample of people, which is generally just like highly educated, like college students who are in you know <laughs> these universities that they have to, so they can tap for their studies. And like, that's just a su- like a super non-representative <laughs> sample of like the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Right. And so so since so much of this research comes out of like the weird countries, I don't know if you've like like the is like white, uh, educated, industrialized uh, rich, developed countries, mm-hmm. right? And, like, so it is kind of a, t- you know, a question of, like, well, it's such a, like, you know, subjective science where, you know, if this, if all of these studies were being done in the Philippines, like, maybe a totally different set of things would be considered neuroatypical, mm-hmm. right? Because it's such a different cultural context. And I'm sure I'm I'm half Chinese and I'm sure there's plenty of things that Chinese people do that are like, you know, would be considered outside the norm here, but would be not even at all like, you know, considered atypical or whatever if you're going to try to like put things on some kind of continuum for, for the purposes of like putting it in the DSM, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. and I think just like <laughs> On an even less research-driven standpoint, it's just, like, shared experiences thing, you know? Like, I'm really not trying to, like, sit there and talk to a white person about, like, (laughs) my feelings as, like, my feelings about, you know, Black Lives Matter or about, like, growing Mm -hmm. up in a household of, you know, a household of color and, like, dealing with poverty and shit like that, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like... Yeah. It's just yeah, it's just not something I'm interested in. <laughs> and I'm sure some of yeah. them I'm sure some of them are really great. You know, I'm sure like some of them would do a really great job with it. But in terms of like if I'm gonna if I'm gonna place the filter, that's the filter that I'm gonna place. Yes. No, I I totally agree. I mean, like my first therapist that I had in college, and granted, I went to a private Christian university for school. So they offered free therapy for students. And like I said, my first therapist was a white woman. And like I would tell her about my extended family and how much my extended family played a role in my trauma. And like, you know, for I feel like for a lot of white families, they kind of just think about their immediate family. They don't really care about their extended family. But for a lot of um, 
households and families of color, like your extended family is everything. Like it's never just your nuclear unit, right? Like that's just a, especially because a lot of us come from collectivistic cultures. Like you have to think of like everybody. So, and she would just kind of sit there and like nod and be like, "Uh uh-huh. And like, and just could not, I don't know. Like, I just don't remember her like doing anything super helpful or productive other than letting me vent without judgment. But mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. That it's not necessarily their fault. Yeah, they just have a different it's, frame of reference, yeah. right? <laughs> but it's also interesting because you're also the first woman that we've talked to about mental health stuff. Oh. And I'm sure that's also I I mean, I have no idea. My my I'm just guessing that it's I don't know. Do you think that there are more women or men who are kind of diagnosed with like being, I don't know, neuroatypical? For women are definitely underdiagnosed with ADHD. Okay. Um, and like I said, women of color even more so because of that added cultural context and cultural aspect. But women are underdiagnosed because ADHD manifests itself differently in women than in men. Um, Young boys are the ones that tend to be hyperactive. And then for a lot of young girls, it's just that they can't focus. And so since they're not outwardly acting out and just silently struggling, you know, parents and teachers don't see that. And so they don't think that it's a problem or, um, or if they're in the gifted and talented program, like I was in and lots of other people that I know that have ADHD, like they just assume, oh, you're fine. You're smart. That's okay. Like, you know, when in reality, like being in a program like that doesn't really, and on top of that, because you're in a program like that, you have more pressure on yourself, especially as a child of Asian immigrants who had a pretty typical tiger mom, like, you know, having that additional pressure, it doesn't really help anything. Um, so yeah, it's, it's and I'm re- I'm meaning a lot of women who got diagnosed as adults because they were dismissed as kids or if they were a person of color they're like it was just never talked about because mental health is not a real thing in in their families or it's not seen as real. And I think a lot of people also very reasonably so have a lot of suspicion around like medicine and especially people of color, right? Because, you know, a lot of people of color have been used in like, you know, pretty mm-hmm. unethical, mm-hmm. right? Like medical experiments in the past. And obviously we're in the middle of a pandemic right now where people are, of color are getting fucked over mm-hmm. way more than other mm-hmm. people, right? And so I think it's 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 just hard to parse because like, yeah, culturally you're like, oh, but like, you know, you should believe in science. But on the other hand, it's like, well, you do have a point. Like, yeah, <laughs> the medical industry hasn't been great to you. Yeah. Yeah. Ton of precedent for that. <laughs> like we were talking in my house today about like how it makes a lot of sense that a lot of people of color like turn out to be anti-vaxxers because like there's a lot of there's a lot of fucking data to just show that. In the past, you know, a lot of a lot of harm has been done to these communities. I'm not an anti-vaxxer, by the way, but (laughs) 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 Um, but I'm look. I'm just saying I can see where I came from. Do you think that like I feel like I know a number of people who, uh, just like I feel like maybe could be diagnosed with ADHD, like, but I feel like it's it's a hard thing to kind of like 
talk about because obviously we have this thing in society where we tend to do that or you know i'm like people did that to trump all the time where everyone was like oh my god trump has xyz Mm -hmm. thing and like you know that's not considered super like kosher but what what like I, I do feel like it's in this awkward place where like it's like stigmatized enough or even if you're like, you know, part of a progressive community, if you recommend to someone like, oh, like maybe you could like, you know, get this thing checked <laughs> yeah. out. Like it's still kind of offensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Like, you know, so I just like how like how do you think people should be talking about it? You know, I think I definitely that's a really good question and something that I am trying to navigate. I know for me, I just unapologetically will talk about myself because obviously it's it's me. It's not bringing in other people into it. Um, I have only ever recommended or suggested ADHD to people close to me that like I already have a relationship with. So like my cousin-in-law I'm the one who recommended to her and suggested her, you probably do have ADHD because you and I are very similar, but you're like dialed up. <laughs> and and because, you know, she and I have that built relationship already, I'm not a random stranger just saying, yeah, you might be crazy. You should go get that checked out. Like, you know, she <laughs> wasn't, you know, she didn't take any offense to it at all or anything. And same with the friend who said that the same thing to me. So... I I don't know how we should talk about it because that I think we should be talking about it for sure in in mm-hmm, the context mm-hmm. and how to do so I don't know because it's true like you there are some people who like may exhibit all of these symptoms but mm-hmm. out of their own pride or ignorance like they refuse to see that this is a possibility for them and I don't know it's hard cuz even with like just general mental health, like even just something as simple as going to therapy. Like, I feel like even that is something that people still struggle with. Because if you tell someone, I think you should go to therapy, people, there are a lot of people who do still get offended by that, even if you don't mean anything by it. And like, you know, I'll, you know, even like talking with my husband, his, his viewpoints on mental health have shifted so much over the years because he used to have one of those very typical Asian American male mindsets of like what what mental health like only crazy people like go to therapy and like whatever and stuff and um and over the years he it's changed for him and part partially for him that changed because he and I actually went to couples therapy together a few years ago before we even got engaged cuz he was moving abroad and I just wanted to make sure that you know, there were no underlying issues that were going to come up while he was living abroad that would like be detrimental to our relationship. So, and we were very lucky that we got, we actually happened to get an Asian American um, male therapist. And we were very lucky to have a therapist who understood our cultural context, where we were coming from, and the way he broke down like different things that my husband had internalized, but he never knew, it just made it click for him. And that really kind of changed his viewpoint for it. But to get there, I kind of had to drag him at first. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. and so... 
because I have said to him before, like even before that time, I said, you know, you should probably go to therapy. And he's like, what? And like, no. And, you know, especially because for my husband, he grew up very different to me. We're both Filipino, but I grew up with divorced parents. My parents, my mom grew up poor. You know, his parents are still together. They love each other. Um <laughs> You know, <laughs> I know this sounds so they they're like middle class, you know, they own multiple properties. My parents don't have anything. They don't have any wealth, you know. So we even though we come from the same cultural background, we also we came from very different social classes. Um, but then therapy made him realize like, oh, even though my parents have a good marriage now, like there were things that I that he internalized that he didn't realize. And so. And I've even told about talked to my brother-in-law, his little brother. He's only like 18 or 19. I don't know how old he is, something like that. And um, I like told him and and I said, you know, you should probably go to therapy too. Like just just because. And he was like, What? No. And I was like, you know, the people who deny it the most usually need it the most. <laughs> but like it's I don't know. So even with like general mental health, it's still something that we're trying to navigate. But I guess it will just, as more and more people are exposed to it, like general mental health and like stuff like ADHD, I think people will realize that, you know, people are not just trying to make you like humiliate you when they say you should go to therapy or you should go get that checked out or something because it's, people will say that to people all the time about their physical health, right? Like, let's say you hurt yourself. Like, and you think, oh, no, I think I'm fine. And you're like, no, you should probably get that checked out. No one's going to be, well, most people wouldn't be offended by someone saying that, right? Because it's your physical health. But like, it needs to change for mental health too. And I am a firm proponent of mental health, not just as like a way to get better, but as prevention, and mm-hmm. um and maintenance not just okay i'm done with therapy like i'm done like no more therapy for the rest of my life right like <laughs> or or how a lot of couples like when sorry this is not really related to adhd anymore but it also kind of is but <laughs> when um my husband and i got couples therapy over the years you know i would tell people about it and some people have said isn't that a red flag that you guys went to couples therapy before you even got married or like before you even got engaged. We weren't even engaged yet. And I was just like, um, I would rather, you know, resolve all of our issues now, or if he ends up not being the one, like no now, rather than after we get married and like, we've already invested all of this into this. And like, you know what I mean? Like a lot of couples go to couple ther- couples therapy as like a last resort, but we did it as a prevention thing. And I tell people all the time, I'm pretty sure that's what saved our relationship because there were things that came up during that we wouldn't have realized until it was too late. And we were able to work through those issues and we are in a much better place because of it. So, yeah. I think the prevention thing is definitely like a. I, I feel like I know a lot of people who are like, well, it's not. I'm able to live with it. So even if I do like pretty obviously have ADHD or whatever it is, like what, you know, what's the point of going and paying for medication if I can basically manage it myself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? I think the the prevention aspect is really, yeah, the most salient part for me where it's like in my ideal world, right, we would 
like give kids the opportunity to you know just talk to therapists all the time or like regularly Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. you know we could sort of catch these things that and you know obviously i would like a more like (laughs) robust and like thorough system of like medicating because i feel like we're super flawed in that aspect too but yes definitely (laughs) um but you know just like giving a shit about kids' mental health in, in like, some kind mm-hmm. of regular way, I think would just do a yeah. lot for a lot of the issues that we have in Oh, world. my gosh. Hell, yeah. Like, like I said, like, I'm a pretty self-aware – I've always been a self-aware person since I was, like, four years old because my parents separated when I was so young. And because of that, it forced me to – as a defense mechanism, I became hyper aware of myself and why I do what I do as a way that like if something is wrong, um, if it's my fault, you can't get mad at me for it because I already know that I'm at fault. But if it's not mm-hmm. my fault, no matter what you say to me, I know I'm not at fault. So you can't, you know, um, so I became very self-aware at a young age and I wish that I could have had the opportunity to go to therapy at a young age because it would have just prevented so many things in my life and I would have been in a much better place too. Um, I mean, I have like a really shitty, I don't even, I don't even talk to my like extended family anymore. Um, I like cut out my dad, like just because of so many different unresolved mental health issues that I feel like And even on a grander societal level, so many things, so many horrific things that have happened would not have happened if we did more comprehensive mental health for kids, like starting at a young age, right? Like, like I hate when people say that, like, these people who do these crazy things are, like, all mentally ill. And, And while that may be true in some respects, I think it's also just a lot of entitlement. I mean, talking to therapists from a young age would also kind of help people work through that kind of thing too, so that you don't get those entitled people who just go do those things that we see on the news. (laughs) And we're like, are we surprised? (laughs) Like, you know, unfortunately, but yeah. Yeah. Well, and also as our as our world generally diverges more and more from like what human beings are like naturally good at doing and like, you know, kind of pre-programmed to do, then I feel like the more and more we're going to see, you know, like just as a result of being inundated with social media and screens and just like the this weird kind of dystopian environment that we're in, more and more and more, like this issue is only going to become more salient, mm-hmm. right? Like one of the I follow this blogger who's a psychiatrist who talks about how like, wow, you know, like if I didn't if I only I knew before I became a psychiatrist, how much of my job would literally just be prescribing Adderall to like coders in San Francisco because their jobs are completely like just not what humans were wired for. You're not supposed to stare at a spreadsheet all day. That's just not what you're supposed to do. And the only reason all of your coworkers can do it is because they're all already on Adderall. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I didn't even know. Until like last year, two years ago, that like people use Adderall like recreationally, <laughs> yeah. To, mm-hmm. Um, either because they like can't f- like they just can't focus for that period of time, or like like they get a high off of it. And I'm like, huh? Like like p- 
people. And I'm just like, it makes me feel normal. <laughs> like when I take Adderall, it makes me feel like even though my mind is still running a million miles per hour, it just feels not quieter, but it feels manageable. Yeah. But I know like some people like it for the like high of feeling like so jittery and stuff. And I'm like, that is, that's so weird. That's just so weird to me. And it poses an interesting, a really interesting set of ethical questions, I think, where it's like we consider it totally, you know, above board to like use medication to get people to the average right but like that is it suddenly then unethical to like you know ha take the average and like try to get better than average and like try to like become a superhuman yeah. or whatever and like you know i feel like that's really ethically mm -hmm. gray you know mm -hmm. what i mean you know and i feel like that comes back to capitalism <laughs> like yeah i mean the reason why most people would want to take a stimulant like Adderall recreationally is because they want to perform better. And why do why are people so obsessed? Like how America or just our capitalist society just glamorizes overworking. Like why do people brag about, yeah, I worked 80 hours to build this thing and now I'm a billionaire. And it's like, okay, but like... <laughs> that's we, a lot of hours, bro. Yeah, that's a lot of hours. I would rather <laughs> yeah. not be putting that much time into work um and also because you're a billionaire you probably exploited a bunch of people but that's another episode that's another episode topic <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah i think mental health is just something that everybody needs like literally everybody just how, like how everyone has to get a primary care physician everyone should be required to have a psychologist a therapist something like that like I don't know why we don't require both. Kind of like how I don't know why we separate dental insurance from medical insurance. Um, why people get those things separate. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. It's just such a mix of arbitrary things that become the norm and then you can't undo them. <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, Chriselle, thanks so much for sitting down with us. Um, I, you know, it's funny that we were just talking about being sad. Isabel brought up a good point, which is that the, the ending questions that I usually ask people are have been sad lately. So we're reframing for them to be happier. <laughs> um, so the new question is, um, now that we're hopefully in late stage pandemic, what are you most excited about or what are you just like really excited about to do when we can be regular people again <laughs> i'm looking forward to traveling honestly i the first international trip that we want to go on as soon as it's safe to go is go to japan um you know i had like a whole schedule for like 2020 2021 and stuff for like uh for like international trips and stuff that I wanted to take before my husband and I kind of sit down and really seriously think about children. But that got pushed back a little bit because of the pandemic. So I'm, I just can't wait to hop on a plane, go to Japan, live my anime and foodie dreams out. Yeah, I can't wait for that. Nice. I've always wanted to go to Japan. I think that 
I'm going to get serious about like trying to actually go soon. You know, one, like once mm-hmm. the death plague is over. <laughs> yes. And you know what sucks too is that it's not over over in Japan, but like they can function like a normal society. Yeah. I mean, tons of countries are functioning pretty normally right I now. I know. It it makes me so angry. Like you have no idea how angry it makes me. <laughs> um, cool. So why don't you take a second to just like plug all of your content? Yeah, for sure. If you want to keep up with me and hear me talk on more tangents about anything and everything related to entrepreneurship, social justice, mental health, you can go follow me over on Empowered in Color. Subscribe to my podcast. Um, you can find us at empoweredincolor.co or instagram.com slash empoweredincolor. If you want to follow my personal social media where I talk about everything from politics to progressive Christianity to more mental health to talking about my dog, Um, (laughs) (laughs) you can go follow me over at Chriselle, K-R-I-S-E-L-L-E-M-G on Twitter and Instagram. And as always... You can find us at I'm the Villain Pod. That's our Twitter, our Gmail, and our Instagram. Otherwise, bye everyone. <laughs>